Welcome to The Undercover Elephant, a podcast about scaling and optimizing your PHP applications produced by Tideways. Each week, Benjamin Eberlei and Matthew Setter sit down with an expert from the PHP community to discuss a specific aspect of highly performant PHP applications. Whether you're a lone developer or part of a larger team, if you want to develop fast and reliable PHP applications, then this, my friend, is the podcast for you. Alrighty, in this episode, Benjamin and I have the pleasure of talking with Bastian Hoffmann about retries and timeouts in PHP. As always, you can find an article about the topic of the podcast at tideways.com forward slash podcast forward slash four, as well as in the show notes. Let's get going. Hi, Basti. Uh, where are you calling in from today? I'm calling in from our office at Sys11 in Berlin, Germany. Yeah, so you're working at Sys11, a hosting company and a partner of Tideways. But we know each other from uh, much longer ago, so uh, I'm not sure. We I think we met through mutual friends uh, on a few PHP conferences. You have worked a lot on uh, PHP applications at very high scale and had to work with a lot of the things that we are going to talk about today. So before we start... Um, what is your current position? What are you working on at the moment? At the moment, I'm working on the managed Kubernetes product that Sys11 is offering and doing some development work there, as well as consulting and workshops with clients or potential clients to explain them how to get their application into Kubernetes and into containers successfully. The topic that we want to talk about is timeouts, uh, timeouts in general, how to handle them. And this is a topic that comes up if you're running large PHP applications, uh, essentially comes up when you're running applications of any kind. So what are the things or wh why would you care about timeouts in general in, in your code, in your applications? So when you have an application online and everything is working fine and the latencies between your application and other services or your database are low, you usually don't think about this at the first hand. But then if something breaks, something gets slow, when, when you ha then have large timeout settings or not optimal timeout settings, problems can increase uh, by a lot. So it starts like small that like one database query is a bit slower than usual and then one process waits and the other process waits and in the end the user perceives an additional latency of a few seconds. Also, it is easy to just overload your hardware and your infrastructure that you have because more more concurrent requests are piling up in uh, coming from the users, which then would exhaust the concurrent request limits that you have in PHP or Apache. That is also not a good thing. Yeah, so PHP usually runs in multiple processes, sub-processes of Apache or PHP FPM, where you say you have, let's say, 10 workers or you have uh, 10 PHP FPM children that are handling requests. What, what's actually happening if all these processes are waiting because of high, high timeouts? Then if you don't have a free worker and a new request from a user comes in, that uh, will not be handled and the user will get, I don't know, five or something error from the web server. Okay, so for PHP applications, it's actually important to think about this because if you don't have uh, a good timeout setting, this could mean that all additional users don't get served anymore and don't... Exactly, yeah. Or just, uh, like, the best case would be they just have to wait a very long time and then just see an error page. 
the worst thing is that they just see a very ugly error page uh, that when you're basically down. Okay, so um, what are different kinds of timeouts that exist and that you might need to think about when using PHP? So the ba most basic thing is the uh, maximum execution time that a PHP request has on its own. So that's, I think the default there is 30 seconds. So in if a request is started, it will maximum run for 30 seconds by, and then PHP will kill it. And this is something you could adapt. And then you can go down lower from there on individual timeouts on a TCP socket or HTTP request timeouts that you can set with curl or timeouts when connecting to a database or for example. So um, let's start with the max execution time because that's something that uh, I guess most of users are familiar with. Why would you say this is something you should uh, decrease to 30 seconds? I'm usually a bit worried because, for example, there's this one endpoint in the admin backend where some admin has to click on the export for a CSV file that's taking longer. Um, how do you make this work, reducing the max execution time? So, first of all, uh, you can differentiate maybe also between admin endpoints that may take a long time and where users say hey this is okay i can wait and something that is actually where the user is wait like a real user end user is waiting and in real end user is not waiting for 30 seconds so if these they're waiting for 30 seconds they're most likely already by your comp um, going to your competitor so it's actually good to decrease the amount quite a bit there but if you really need these kind of like slow endpoints for administrative purposes or backend purposes and just set up an additional server just for that where you have different settings so i remember you worked for a few large social websites that had a lot of user traffic did you um, configure the time our max execution um, settings uh, depending on the user type or on the individual endpoints or what, what is the strategy that you would uh, apply if you have a very large site that needs to be careful about timeouts? You definitely want to have dedicated uh, web servers for your user traffic, your end user traffic and web servers for all kinds of administrative things, service to service traffic. And it's not only just because of different timeout settings that you may want to set also, but also because of caches that you can have locally that where you want to ensure that only the hot data set is there and not any kind of administrative task will destroy any kind of caches. So there's multiple things that can influence that where you want to have dedicated nodes, dedicated hosts for user traffic. Does this make sense? <laughs> yeah. Is there anything, any sort of other situations in addition to these that might be relevant to, to consider? What do you mean with other situations? I was kind of just sort of freewheeling on this for a moment because we were talking straight about a user who sort of sits and I want to get something quick. So you want a, a low response time. And then you want to have something like an admin user who it, it's it's not a great sense of urgency. Would there be sort of other cases like workers and so forth? Or did you just cover that anyway? Also, uh, of course, as an admin user, it would be nice that an admin doesn't wait for like, uh, I don't know, 50, 60, 80 seconds on a PHP process running somewhere and doing something. So you could for example, offload this to an asynchronous job and then have an indicator for in the UI that now the result is ready and can be downloaded. So pre-computating some of the stuff in the background so that you don't have just a one PHP process that runs for a very long time uh, and the user is waiting on that. 
Oh yeah, fair enough. That makes sense. Benjamin, I was going to say, do you want to, is there more to cover on that or should we maybe look at, say, a default socket timeout? Yeah, so default socket timeout, I guess, is a very interesting thing because the default is 60 seconds. And as a user, if I'm, or as a PHP developer, if I'm looking at 30 seconds max execution time, uh, how does it play with 60 seconds of socket time? If you think about it, shouldn't the max execution time stop the process earlier than the default of 60 seconds? How, how do, uh, can you explain a little bit what uh, the default socket timeout does and why, why is it higher than the max execution time? And uh, maybe why, why is this weird? So the uh, default socket timeout is the amount of time that in a PHP process a TCP socket can stay open without Oh, I, now I need to, would need to look it up. Is this the timeout that can stay open without any traffic on it, or is it the time in total? It's time it stays open, but just say, sorry, without traffic, but I'm not totally sure on that. So it's definitely uh, good to say to you, I can just say like 60 seconds is usually not a, it's a way too high time for that. It depends. If you have, if you have, uh, so if you have user facing traffic, then it's the setting of 60 seconds is way too high because you want to have an answer in a few few million, hundred milliseconds that you give the user. If you have long-running jobs uh, and maybe also something where you do, I, can, I don't know, you call an API with a watch request and wait for something to happen, you may want to have even a longer t uh, socket timeout because it could be that only after three minutes a result is there. But for a normal, if you're talking about normal user-facing HTTP traffic, like 60 seconds is way way too large. So one API that is using default socket timeout is, for example, file get contents or fopen if you use it which, uh, with HTTP traffic. So uh, that is something where you would argue if you're using that for in requests that are user facing, the 60 seconds are actually way too high. Yeah, though I would argue maybe that you should think about using like a prop more proper feature set, feature rich library like curl or something on top of curl instead, where you have more control over, over what happens on the socket, especially on the HTTP level. So yeah, say for curl or HTTP requests in general, independent of the API, what would you say is a more appropriate timeout? I mean, obviously it depends on on how quick the third-party API would responding, but what is something you should go off, generally look at? You should keep it as low as possible, especially if you always have to think about like when a user comes to your page, you should answer in a few hundred milliseconds, not more than a second, because everything that is slower is usually the user is annoyed by that, it feels sluggish, and the user doesn't accept that anymore. So if you do then within this request, some request to other services or other APIs or they do database queries and they take more than like 100 milliseconds, then you already with one HTTP request have this budget there without doing any kind of template rendering, business computation and all kinds of stuff. So it should be significantly lower, more in the like few milliseconds area. But you all of course also have to look at how long is usually the third party taking. Okay, well, in addition to sort of that, do you, maybe you should sort of look at tuning as well, because we sort of talked in sort of broad terms about roughly what the settings are and like how long, what they should be set to. How do you have sort of rules of thumb of how you approach tuning these settings on a sort of maybe case-by-case -case basis? The first 
thing is you need observability. So you need to know how long each of these calls are actually taking. So you need to measure not only the response time that the user is facing in the end on the page, but also all the HTTP requests or whatever you're doing there, how long they are taking between your services. So you need to measure all of that to actually get an idea of what the real situ situation is. And then you can say, okay, let's, based on that numbers, set proper timeouts so that if something goes bad, not everything goes slower and slower and gets your infrastructure down. And then you can think about improving that, for example, by using something like Tideways to look into the process and see where the time is lost. And that was what I was going to follow up and ask with sort of tooling for what you use for then measuring. So you've beaten me to it. Okay. It of course also depends a bit on the programming language where the service is written in. If it's a PHP process, yeah, Tideways is a very good tool. If it's uh, other programming languages, then there are other tools that do similar things. Okay. Just assuming, say, we have like a multi-mix environment outside of PHP, do you have sort of recommendations for other common languages, maybe like, I don't know, Go or Java or whatnot? I would say maybe uh, have a look at Datadog or so on your Relic. They should also have things where you include some libraries or extensions or what, however the programming language work to get data out of that. But it really depends uh, on the environment. So uh, I remember uh, when we talked about this a long time ago that you uh, used open source software uh, connecting to StatsD and um, some backends. Uh. Yeah, of course, what you also can do, of course, is uh, that in your application, you write all the monitoring code yourself. Like what Tideways or other solutions give you is that they understand the source code, they understand the libraries and measure the, a lot of right things directly. Uh, you can, of course measure everything within your source code of any service yourself and put it somewhere to any kind of monitoring system. Okay, so let's assume we have all this monitoring data. We know how long all the requests are taking and we are able to configure uh, timeouts for different internal, external services based on that. Set the max execution time to a lower number. Of course, when we do this, we will suddenly get a lot of timeouts compared to when we just set those values very, very high. So how would you need to handle, is there something you would add to the applications to handle these cases when timeouts occur? So of course you should aim for there being as little timeouts as possible and having a very stable response time through all services but that is sometimes especially in large distributed systems not possible and then you have the effect that oftentimes you do a request once it's fairly slow for some reason and then you do it directly a second time and it's fast again and for that uh, a good approach is just to have a very low timeout setting but then do like uh, if The request fails because of that, do like one, two retries. Even often you have a case if a request that is idempotent, so something that can be repeatable like a get request, if it fails with a 500 error and you do it a second time, oftentimes it works. So even for that, it's a good idea to think about doing automatic retries of requests that you can automatically retry. And the second thing you could approach there is when you're saying, okay, you do a few retries, then it's still not working, that at some point also you think about have some component in between there that recognizes that, that the last 
50 requests or 100 requests from service A to service B failed. And then for a few seconds or so, just stops doing that. This is like a circuit called a circuit breaker. On a slightly different note, possibly, like I said, we sort of talked about sort of different settings and using them. What if hypothetically you had someone who maybe had taken over a code base, it was quite a large application and it had no sense of monitoring whatsoever. And they then were maybe becoming aware of monitoring and timeouts and so forth for the first time and wanted to sort of work through the application to sort of refine it and sort of integrate monitoring properly. What would you suggest as a, as a first point that they should do? Just sort of use a service such as Tideways and then just look at what's happening but not change anything? Or what would you suggest? Yeah, first really try to get observability in there to see what is happening. The second thing is there... So there's a lot of tools nowadays that can help you with that. One is Tideways, but also if uh, you're running in something like Kubernetes, there is tools that autom that you can install like Istio or Linkerd, so-called service mesh technologies that just hook into all the network traffic that you have between services and also give you basic telemetry of that. If you have the possibility to do that, it can help you greatly getting basic monitoring up setting, set up very quickly. Yeah, so you explained a little bit about retries and uh, circuit breakers. And um, I am thinking about my self-written curl code or file-get contents code that does a third-party API call. Does using this kind of approaches require to write a lot of code? Uh, um, or yeah, how, how would you approach this from a um, writing code perspective, changing the code base to handle these cases? Um, it depends depends a bit like ideally of course i don't want to change my code completely just for monitoring so one approach is there to use something like tightways that understands the code and adds all the necessary monitoring automatically because of that the other thing would be to use something like service meshes that ho hook into all the communication more outside of your code on the network level i didn't specifically mean observability so but um, specifically like retries and circuit breakers sound Sounds like, um, yeah, for retries, I, I probably need some kind of while loop to do it multiple times. And for circuit breakers, I would, I don't know, need some kind of cache or how would it look like? So yeah, for circuit breakers, you would need something that monitors all the HTTP requests, looks at the success rate. And if the success rate drops under a certain percent, configurable percentage, then for uh, sometime just not let any requests through anymore and just directly answer with a 503 and then let some requests through again to see if the application is fast enough and works again you can of course implement this on your own in your application for some programming languages like java there are also good libraries for that for php that's a bit more complex because it's harder to keep state over different user requests and to be able to calculate something like a success rate reliably. The, and for that, the easiest option is to also do not only the observability, but also the things, things like circuit breakers outside of your application so that your application not, doesn't connect directly to the service it wants to call, but does this through a proxy that handles all of that for you. And there we are again at a service mesh technology like Istio who can do that. So the, how it works is that you have an Istio container somewhere. 
next to uh, an Istio process somewhere that has uh, is handled functions as a proxy. And every time your application wants to call another service, it first goes through this proxy. This proxy then monitors all the HTTP requests, puts sends the telemetry data, how long it took, if it was successful or not, to some monitoring system, and also decides if the request goes through the circuit breaker or not, if it should be retried or not. Okay, so uh, it seems there's a, a bunch of technology available. However, with timeouts now taking place sometime in my application, different calls having circuit breakers for downstream services that fail, that obviously means that the users sometimes have a degraded experience where some features are not working. So I'm thinking fail whale uh, from, from Twitter, or I think GitHub also has this nice uh, unicorn page with the timeout. From a user interface perspective, is there sort of an application architecture or some kind of pattern that you would recommend uh, users to look at if they suddenly work in a way that they probably see more timeouts than before? You should definitely look into a front-end framework uh, that supports components, something, uh, for example, like React or so, so that if some loading of some data fails, only the components that need the data fail and maybe comp other components on the page that don't need the data still are being, could be can be rendered so that you show as much data as possible and not just like an error page just because something in a small recommendation part of the page on the left bottom side fails. Now that we are what in that latter part of the episode, this is where I hand over to you. So is there anything that you would like to, to plug, to mention, whether where you're working at the moment or a conference talk that you have coming up or something else entirely? It's over to you. Okay, so we had a couple of times the topic that observability and getting data about what's happening in your application is vitally important and just wanted to, want to mention again that using Kubernetes there can also help you because there's lots of tooling and implementations there that you can just use and if you need help with that then definitely uh, Sys11 could be an interesting opportunity there because we have managed Kubernetes clusters so you can just send us an email or go to our website and check it out. Cool. I'll have a link to that in the show notes. Thank you very much for coming on, Bastian. Yeah, you're welcome. It was a pleasure. It's been fun. And thanks for tuning in. The Undercover Elephant is produced by Tideways, a PHP monitoring, profiling, and exception tracking software company. If you want to know more about anything that you heard during the episode, about a wonderful guest, or about Benjamin and myself, check out the show notes in your favorite podcast player. Alternatively, go to undercover-elephant.com. That's undercover-elephant.com. You'll find a link to each episode, which contains show notes for that episode. If you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, or if you know someone who is very knowledgeable in writing highly performant and scalable PHP applications, then email us at podcast at tideways.com. That's podcast at tideways.com. <laughs>